Welcome to the Redemptive Parenting Podcast, where we aim to encourage and equip parents in wisdom with hope in the gospel for the everyday. Your host today is me, Kristen, for this special guest episode with my dear friend, Krista Gilbert, who I am so happy to share with you today. I invited Krista to come on to talk about her passion of reclaiming home. She'll fill you in on what that looks like, but I can tell you up front as a personal friend that Krista lives out with her family, her message. I have no doubt she will inspire you no matter where you are on the parenting continuum. And considering it's the beginning of the year where we are starting fresh, rethinking habits, parenting, and family life, I think her message is especially timely. So without further ado, Krista, welcome. Hi, Kristen. Thank you for having me. It is so fun because we're in real life friends. And so it's just like home being here with you. I agree. I just wish that we were actually sitting in one of our homes together and not looking at each other on a screen. I know me too. So why don't you tell us where you are and about your family and all the various hats that you wear? So we live in the Pacific Northwest. I live with my husband and I have four children and we're on, well, you and I actually have, have kids really similar ages, but my youngest is 15 and it goes up from there. And then we, my oldest is 22. So we've got two in college and then um, two in high school. So we're on the latter end of the really active, you're never stop being a parent, but the really active parenting years. And I am a home coach. I am a speaker. I write, I podcast. Um, we have a podcast called the open door sisterhood podcast. And, um, but you know, I mainly parent still and mainly cook and clean and, you know, do laundry and, and all those things too. It is a lot to balance. I hear you. I feel like, um, even though we're not doing the exact same things, it's just the idea of, of, managing all the different hats that we wear with, with older kids. And I think sometimes we think, you know, once they're older and they're driving and they're on their own, that it frees us up, which it does in some ways, but in other ways, just the emotional time and still the wanting to stay connected when it's so much harder, when they're not just there under your (laughs) direction. Uh, I agree. I, I feel like um, I don't understand when parents tap out a little bit in the teen years because, and I see that I see parents tapping out and just going hands off, but I mean, this is like setting them up for their, their entire adult life, you know? And yes, like we do that when they're young too, but we do it in a really unique way in the teen years and to neglect that time, I think is a real disservice to our kids and our family. I totally agree. And I see the same thing with the tapping out for sure. So I'll back up to say that Krista and I actually met in person when I was part of one of her open door sisterhood mastermind groups. Um, and we just became fast friends. And I think it, one reason for that is because we are in the same stage of parenting. So we just could identify with each other in so many ways and share that desire for intentionality in parenting. And so that's something that you talk a lot about and you do really well with your family. So we're going to get into the specifics of that, but why don't you share just your thoughts on family culture is something that we create, whether we're intentional about it or it just happens by default. You know, it's something we don't think about very much, but every single group has a culture. And so if you start actually paying attention to culture, 
like what, what is the culture of this group? You'll start to be able to name it, but you have to pay attention to it. And I'm going to give an example of two schools. So let's say there's a school and the principal keeps turning over and um, the teachers maybe aren't super excited about being there. Maybe the pay is low in that district or in that state. And so that has a certain culture with it. Well, I want to contrast that with the culture of a school that actually my kids go to in their high school right now. So the principal actually has a mobile desk. He literally has his desk on this roller and he all day long is going around the school, checking in on teachers, naming kids by name. Hey, Scott, how are you today? Hey, how's it going, Julie? You know, and so he's no, he's literally like knows kids checking in. How's everybody doing? He's present. He's visible. He's positive. He's speaking words of life all around the school. And all of his messaging, like I tell my husband all the time, this guy is incredible. Like the way that he leads, he makes people feel like they should want to be there Mm. because of the way that he communicates and he leads his staff that way. And so what is the culture of the school that my kids currently go to? It is actually like, like the most, one of the most positive schools I have ever been a part of the staff. They, I mean, you hear all the teachers say, I will never leave this school. That is amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, their pay is good in the district, but also it's the culture. It's how they feel appreciated and valued and built up. And that matters. So do we know that in a family, we actually create the most powerful culture there is because our children grow up to be adults and then they have their kids. And so we are actually creating a culture that has generational impact. Like what we do today creates a culture that will live beyond us. And so what kind of culture are we creating now? There are, I mean, I always like to give handholds, like, what does that really mean? Like, let's, let's get to the how a little bit. So what are some really practical ways we can create culture? We can eat dinner together. Like, Okay, super simple idea, but how often are people actually not eating dinner together? A lot. A lot. If you can't do dinner because maybe somebody works the swing shift or kids are in sports and they're not home till late, like I get that because we live that. And so, you know, can you do family dessert at 8:30? Can you do breakfast together? You know, if that, if your family is living in such a way that you can do that and you know, the pandemic actually has given us opportunities to sit down together more. And that's been one of the blessings of it. You know, another thing that we can do is um, what kind of words are we speaking over our kids? And one of the things I like to talk about is I say the same things to my kids. It's like a little it's like a tradition that we have whenever they leave for school, I make them look at me in the eye. I say, Hey, stop. Cause they're running out the door. Mm-hmm. I'm like, stop, stop. And I make them look at me and I say, um, may God's face shine upon you and give you peace, be blessed and be a blessing. Mm-hmm. And every day they walk out the door with those words. And, you know, I mean, I get kind of teary the first time one of my kids said that back to me, I just started bawling. I bet. But they're speaking back to me now. Like they'll say, mom, like I'll get a random text and say, mom, may God's face shine upon you and give you peace today. Be blessed and be a blessing. I mean, think about how that is just seeping into their soul without them even necessarily realizing it. 
Exactly. Right. So what it's like, what words do we speak over our kids on a regular basis that they really can, can take with them? And it's such a simple thing, but it's actually a big thing because it creates culture. Right. And it takes intentionality because it doesn't just happen. We have to think about making those things happen. Mm -hmm. And then think about what kind of things do we do in our culture? So do we, and I know you and I are going to talk about this more, but do we have fun together? You know, do we find ways to, to enjoy each other's presence? And like, I get that can be hard in the teen years because there's some dynamics at play that are hard sometimes. And I totally get that. We've parented for a while now, but you, I mean, all the more reason to find ways to have fun and play together because it's so vital to actually tying heartstrings and to coming back together if you are having more conflict than normal. So that becomes even more important, but it definitely creates culture. And then I would say just another really practical thing is, you know, do you have some kind of either written or unwritten mission statement for your family? Like what are our the things that we're really going to stand on for us, it's honor God, love people live with integrity. Like those are our three tenants. And is that something that you did early on when like early in your family or did have you adopted that as they've gotten older? Like how would you help parents? Like maybe we've never done that, you know, is it too late to add a mission statement? I don't think it's ever too late because here's the thing you and your husband are always present or you and your wife. And so you are, you are the leaders of the family, just like that principal who is the leader of that school, you are the leader of your family. And that will always be the case. I mean, my parents are still leading and I've, I have almost grown kids, you know? And so it it never is too late, I think, to really um, name what those are and to put those up in your home. I mean, we have a very simple sign that just says it. I think it's just this idea of like, who are we and what identity are we creating? And, and you are leading and as a couple, you are leading. And so, you know, can you and your spouse first be aligned on what those are? And I would say that's the place to start. And maybe if your kids are grown, you still can do it though, because this is, this is what we're about. And this is just like every company. I mean, you know, when, when any company starts, when there's an entrepreneur and he or she is building a company, the first thing they do is come up with their mission statement. Why are, do they even exist? And I think that's an important thing for us to, to consider is, you know, what is unique about our family in the world? And then let that drive how we make decisions, because I think that's where we get off track is we say yes without thinking about things. And then all of a sudden we're all going our different directions and we have, have lost focus of what we're about. Yeah. And it gives you some language. So for example, let's say that um, there's two siblings that are really at each other and you could point to your mission statement and say, you know, is this honoring God? You know, is this loving each other? Let's say you're one of your kids something happens and they make a poor decision. You could even, you, again, you never want to use it as a shaming tool, but it's more like the, like we really want to honor God as a family, you know, and, and is this, is this honoring God and, and use it more of as a like conversation tool. But again, I'm, I'm really 
not in supportive shaming. And so you want to be very careful how you use that. Yeah. But I like the idea of creating categories because then you go to your kids and everybody has the same Mm -hmm. language. They know because your family has this as a mission and we talk about, is this honoring God? And so they, they've already been trained. I mean, through this, they're learning to evaluate, is this honoring to God and to think for themselves and to have those conversations. I mean, I'm a huge advocate of starting those kind of building those categories from the time they're young. I mean, something that we talk about from the time ours were little was what, what's an idol so that they understand their hearts bent. Like, am I making something to be God in my life. That's not supposed to be. And, and people say, well, how a young kid can't understand that. I said, but, but we train them and then they come to understand. So if we cast this vision or create these categories in this language, then they grow up understanding it. And that does become our culture and our common language, I guess, so to speak, so that we understand and communicate on a deeper level. Yeah. And if you look at like, for example, a team or a group of friends, they create a common language. They all know what they're, they have all these inside jokes and phrases, right? They know what they're talking about. That's a part of creating culture. So it's actually a positive thing when you have common language that you can come back to. That's awesome. Well, I just want to read a quote from your book, which I don't know if we said that. I mean, you said that you're an author, but your book called Reclaiming Home hits on all these things. I want everybody to get their hands on it. So I hope this interview just kind of whets um, the appetite for you listeners. But you have this quote on your website too, and it's and it's on the book as well. But it says, we live in an era where children often know more about their electronic devices than their own family history, parents, invest more time in the carpool line than at the dinner table and marriages teeter on the cliff of neglect. Reclaiming home offers family creative life-changing solutions to these modern day dilemmas. Learn how to deposit small pebbles of intentional action into daily life to build a mountain on which your family can stand for generations. I think just what you've been talking about are some of those pebbles of intentional action Are there some others that you would elaborate on that we haven't talked about yet? I think it's just really important for us to look at how are we using our time and it's convicting. I mean, if you've ever done a time inventory where you are writing down exactly how you're using your time, we say so much, I don't have time. I don't have time, but it's, Uh it's truly what we're choosing to spend our time on. And we do have time. We just are choosing to spend it in certain ways. So if you think about it, our seconds become our minutes, our minutes become our days, our days become our years and our years are literally our life. And so like how we spend our minutes is really important. And it comes down to really small decisions. So for example, um, I'll just give you a few from my own life in the last three days, literally the last three days, Great. getting up in the morning. Am I going to open my phone and check Instagram or am I going to go feed my soul and spend time in prayer with God so that I can actually be centered and rooted and be better for my family and everyone else around me. But not only that, but for myself, for my own relationship with God, that's a choice that I have tension about all the time. Another example would be, am I going to go on a walk with my husband or am I going to work more? So I work from home and I literally could work around the clock. Like I could, um, me too. 
am I going to pause? And my husband got home early today. Am I going to go ahead and, and take a pause and go out with him and spend that time knowing that that is the, that is a more important way to spend my time that eventually I will get this project done. And I need to pause right now and build that relationship or, um, like with my child, am I going to, you know, plan all sorts of other things, but then, you know, am I going to take the time to plan a special birthday for my son or a special night out for just he and I, where we spend that one-on-one time together, those things don't happen by accident. We actually make choices that either move us in a direction of health or move us away from health. And, you know, what's so interesting, Kristen, I'm just about to launch, um, a, uh, experience called resolved and it's the five most important decisions you will make this year. And one of the things I'm going to be talking about in this experience, um, we're going to be just walk 10 days walking through these five different areas is a Harvard study on happiness. And it's fascinating, but after the, the snapshot is that after 83 years of studying happiness across the board, they they've done, you know, women, men, low income, high income. I mean, it started at Harvard is they came to one conclusion and that is that good relationships create an abundant life and a healthier life that literally people who are the happiest in their relationships at 50 are the healthiest physically at 80, more than quitting smoking, more than not drinking, more than exercise, food. Like it's staggering. Their findings are just it's healthy relationships, healthy relationships. And there is no other place where we have the training ground, like the home. I mean, that is the center and our most primary relationships. And so what are we doing on our calendar? actually in our minutes, you know, to make choices toward people. And, and for me as a person of faith toward God, because my, the quality of my relationship with God affects everything else in my life. And so, I mean, Harvard didn't talk about that, but if I was in the Harvard study, I would be talking about that, you know? And so it comes down to though, I literally wake up in the morning and it comes down to how am I going to spend the next 20 minutes? Am I going to go choose God or am I going to choose Instagram? You know, it's in some ways that simple. It is. And I think casting this vision is good because we're in the stage where we're nearing the empty nester years. And so it's easy for us to really say and know that life is so fast. They go from zero to 18 so fast. But when you're early on, you think you have all this time, you have plenty of time later. And so I think it's easy not to make some of these choices or to fill our calendars with good things even because we can, we think, oh, we've got, we've got so many years. We can't even fathom when our kids are four, what it will be like to have an 18 year old. But now I feel like I've really looking back over these years, I'm like, where did the time go? And so when we think about what is it that I want my kids to go forth with and to know and to value and what I want our family to continue to look like for the next, for the remainder of my life and theirs, we have this very limited time to be depositing intentionality into it. No, it's, it's so true. And I think why wait? 
until your kids are almost out of the home <laughs> until you come right. to these, these realizations. Because I think you get to, and maybe you've experienced this. I did a little bit with my oldest, you know, it's all of a sudden senior year and you kind of start freaking out like, oh my gosh, have I done enough? There's still these things that I wanted to instill in her and to do. And, and now I'm out of time. And is she ready? Because we, we start to feel a lot of maybe guilt and shame that we didn't do enough is, is a mom. And of course, God doesn't want us to feel that. So I'm, I don't want listeners to hear this and think that, that you failed if you have not done that, because God is a God of redeeming time. Um, and it's never too late. Like you said, it's never too late. No. I mean, even if our kids are, or are at kids ages, we can start now. Well, truly. I mean, that's, what's actually, I think so great about kids is that I think they're really forgiving. And so if you even come to them and say, you know what, I haven't spent the time I have not put on the calendar, the amount of time that I want to, but, and I know you're in college or I know you're an adult now, but I want to start doing that. And can I, you know, can we go out to dinner, you know, once a month, every other week, whatever, you know, can I come in and bake cookies with, with, you know, you and whoever, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like it can be the simplest thing, but I think they would really appreciate that. And it's never too late. I agree. I think kids, in fact, something Pete, my husband did college ministry and something he used to say a lot to the college students was the greatest thing you can do for your parents is to forgive them because we are going to fail. We're not going to be the perfect parents. We're not going to spend all the time that we should have or things that we should have done. But, and I do think kids want to forgive and give grace to their parents. And I mean, that's what it is to live redemptively with each other, to go to them and say, please forgive me. I wish I would have made this more of a priority. That That's the thing. I mean, we are going to sin, but when we acknowledge and we come together and we try to live redemptively and it goes such a long way. I mean, they're very receptive to yeah, that. And it models Absolutely. that we're, we're growing I'm not the same today as I was two years ago. Praise God. He's growing me and changing me. And I know I did some things back then that I wouldn't do now. And please forgive me for that because I want to be more like Jesus every day. Absolutely. I know that you um, have done some really cool traditions is big for y'all and you have big and small traditions. I know that you did one really cool thing before your son went to college. So I'd love for you just to share what some of those big ones are related to birthdays, graduation, and then also kind of just the small, more daily type traditions. Yeah. Um, so before our kids go to college, we take that child, well, we've only had two, but we, we've taken both of them, um, to the Oregon coast. We live in the Northwest, so we can drive to the Oregon coast and it's just a weekend with my husband and myself and our, our son or daughter. And it has been so special, Kristen, you know, during that weekend, we laugh, we have fun. We do escape rooms. We walk the beach, you know, we do all sorts of things, but we also actually have a time. Um, the last night that we're there, we build a big bonfire on at this private beach that we've found. It's just a time for us to speak into our child's life. Like this is what we've seen over 18 years of raising. Oh my gosh, I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> oh, great. Now we have feedback on the mic. <laughs> you and I know, right? Because this is so near and dear to our hearts. This launching. Yep. Oh gosh. 
it's this real life. It's to launch a kid is emotional. Well, and then, you know, to like say, okay, 18 years, here's what I've seen. It's a big deal because we point to God and we say, here's how we've seen God change you and grow you. And, and here's how we see you ready. I mean, it's really a time for us to speak life over our child and say, you know, we so believe in you as you launch into this world. And then we also um, use that time over that weekend to just cover any subjects that we feel like we really want to cover before they go to college, because a lot of kids don't have ears to hear until they're right on the cusp of that next step. And so we feel like it's just a really good time to cover, um, just all the things like, let's actually talk the the nuts and bolts of finances for the next few years. Let's talk about how you even go about picking a major or a possible, you know, path for your career. Talk about how alcohol is and drugs are a huge issue on college campuses. Let's talk about date rape and the, the statistics there. Um, we literally have an entire list. In fact, it's on my website. If anybody is curious, um, because I want, okay. I'll put that in the show. I want parents to have a list that they can talk to their almost college freshmen about, um, that we've just found, we we've just found those to be really helpful. And again, it's just trying to get ahead of the communication. They're not going to hear everything. They're not, but they'll hear a lot of it. And it at least opens up those pathways of communication, but, you know, mainly it's just a weekend for us to just really love on our child and, um, spend that time with them. And I have to tell you, it has made the goodbye on the day of drop-off for college so much easier because I already said everything I wanted to say. And so the pressure wasn't on in that moment because I hate that moment of actually saying goodbye on the campus. It's just usually they're running off to a freshman orientation thing. So they're in a hurry. There's like parents crying all around. Like it's, it's a weird, I don't know if you found that. Well, and it's frantic because you're trying to get their dorm room all set up and and there's so many people coming in and out. They're anxious to meet people that live in the room next door. Yeah, I totally, it just feels chaotic. And so to not have any pressure on that moment for me has been an important thing. I love that. And gosh, we could have a whole separate conversation about some of those topics, especially date rape. And you said, even if they don't hear it all until six weeks later, when they're on college campus and they're like, Oh, this is what mom and dad were talking about, but it opens it so that they know I can go back. We've had that happen lots of times with our kids. Um, we, d- we don't want to make anything a taboo topic. And so just by putting it out there, they know that mom and dad are safe to have this conversation yeah. with. But I know y'all do fun things um, with special birthdays and I mean, really just fun. Talk about, because you do talk about in your book and you hit on it early on about a family playing together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we've all heard the saying, a family who plays <laughs> together stays together. But um, I just ran across that Bezel Van Vanderkolf in his book, The Body Keeps the yeah. Score, talks about how playing together actually impacts the mm-hmm. brain as we experience a sense of connection and joy. And I just thought, wow, like something's positive happening in our brain, besides the fact that we're just having fun and building memories and connection. Yeah. There's actually a really good, um, Ted talk that I'll send you that you can put in the show notes. It's by a guy named Dr. Stuart Brown, who is actually one of the leading researchers of play in the brain. And Mm. it is 
it's so good. I mean, it's just, you know, it reinforces that play actually is not just good for our relationships. It's good for even brain development, which is fascinating to me. They've done studies with rats and the rats who um, didn't play are actually like much less adaptable and able to problem solve. Like it's fascinating. So there's just, that so- is fast. yeah, I will definitely put that in the show. Okay. Notes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think we just, you know, I think it's the family. Um, one of the things my sister and I say all the time to each other, cause she's really good at play. She's a seven on the Enneagram is, um, <laughs> that a little intention goes a long way. And so just that little bit of thought, that little bit of like, I'm going to go just a little bit, the extra mile here. It actually makes all the difference. I think as we think about like, for example, um, you had asked me about when we did a murder mystery night for, um, during quarantine, I mean, it really just took a little bit of effort, you know, to like, okay, everybody, you know, come in costume of some kind and here's your role. And, you know, right. It's just that little bit of effort, but I am telling you, it's one of my favorite memories of 2020 was that night. We had so much fun and we had everyone pick a song and everybody got to pick their entrance song. And so everybody lined up and then we would play their song and they would come like strutting up the stairs and do their spins and like be their character, you know, and so that is so I mean, fun. You know, just stuff like that. I mean, it just makes life more fun and it actually really does like bind you together. And so just looking for ways to make things fun, but then also like often we try and tie some meaning in there too, because, you know, you have to have both, you have to have the light and then you have to have deep sometimes. And so sometimes I try and even combine those. Um, so, you know, for birthdays, sometimes for our thir- the 13th birthday of our, the kids in our family, we do a walk, um, and we have them walk on this old dirt road down to this Creek and they meet different people on the walk and people give them something. Um, we've done different things for different kids. So, um, like one of my kids who's a competitive golfer, everybody wrote a word on a golf ball, but they, um, talked to him about why they chose that word for him. For another one of our kids, we had everybody pick their most, the book that's impacted them the most in their growing up years. And then they wrote on the front cover why that book was so impactful to them. And then they gave, what a great they gave, idea. Um, everybody gave him a book. And so the whole idea is that every person walks them to the next person. So for example, I would start with my child and then I basically um, talk to him about turning 13, about what I see in him at the moment and what I hope for him in his teen years. And then I drop him off at the next person and then they do their little thing with him. And then they walk him to the next person until then we all gather at the very end and we pray over um, the 13 year old. And it's, it's just been a really special ritual. I think we don't have enough, like other cultures have so many rites of passages and we just don't in our culture. And so it's been one of my goals to create those for our family. I love that. And for you listeners that have not gotten to the teen years yet, I mean, golly, what an amazing idea to do that at 13. That is just really, really special. And going back to what you were saying too, just about play in general. I mean, I found so often 
we're just kind of sitting or kids are sitting around, they're maybe playing a video game, scrolling their phone, whatever. And if we say, I mean, recently when it snowed here in Oklahoma and my husband's like, Hey, Jonathan, let's go have a snowball fight. I mean, he was up in an instant, you know? So I think when we initiate the play, they're so receptive, but so often I think parents think, Oh, they just want to be with their friends and not with us, or we're too busy doing our tasks that we don't think about it. And so, like you said, with your sister, you know, just a little bit goes a long way, just a little bit of intention and initiating and, and they're all over it. Um, and, and that includes their friends too. I mean, just, Hey, why don't you, I'm going to order some pizza tonight. Why don't you invite your friends over? And you know, that, then it brings the conversation into your kitchen. And so they might be doing the play, but you're still a part and interacting with what's going on. Well, and I would say to those parents who feel discouraged, like their kids aren't really responding to them. Sometimes I'm going to tell you, don't listen to the teenagers. And I'll give you a perfect example of that is that, um, I really wanted to do a ski scavenger hunt for my son's 15th birthday. And when I first brought it up to him, he's like, no, I don't want to do that. You know, blah, blah, blah. But literally like it was so, I mean, we had the best time. We put some prizes to the winners, which just ups the ante, especially we did some cash prizes and that just like up the Uh ante right there. Um, but literally like everybody at the end was like, let's do that again. That was so fun. And so what I'm saying is sometimes you have to push through and really, because there are times you're just not going to get a cheering crowd. You know what I'm saying? Just like deliver dinner to the table. There is never a standing ovation. There's not. And (laughs) there are times when your idea now, granted, like I understand, like sometimes you need to, you need to say, okay, we're not going to do that because the group doesn't want to, but sometimes you have to push through it a little bit and then, and try and create their currency within it. Right. So us adding prizes to it and putting them in cousin groups. So, you know, we were able to do it with cousins and that just makes it way more fun or friends. You can do it with friends. Um, and then adding some currency and, you know, it just like, you can find ways to get them involved. And I have to say, literally it was one of the most fun things that we did over Christmas break, but had I listened to my 15 year old, we wouldn't have done it. I've had that experience too. And I think they think their friends are going to think it's a bad idea. And so they poo poo your idea, but you're right. If you just kind of push through a lot of times we all discover, Oh, the friends actually thought it was a good idea. So it was just getting past their insecurities about what other people might think about them or their family. So how do you, I just want to touch on this briefly before we wrap up, but you're doing a home coaching business. Talk to us about how you are helping families to incorporate some of this. Well, I just really believe in coaching as a life coach myself. I think we just need people to help us move in the direction that we want to go. Because for some reason, this is true in my life, Kristen, you may find it's true in yours too, but like. I'm not as accountable to myself as I am to other people. I don't know why that is, but like, if I tell someone next week by Wednesday, I will have this done. If I only tell myself that I, I probably will get it done, but I don't feel that pressure. Whereas if I tell someone outside of myself, you know, that, okay, I'm going to have that done by Wednesday. 
I'll, I'll have that done because they're going to be asking me about it. And so there's just something really beautiful about accountability and about someone asking you questions that make you think and make you live more intentionally. And so that simply is what I do with home coaching. I basically am a life coach for the home, for people that want to live more intentionally in their families and homes. And because I do have a background also in interior design, I like to address some of the practical aspects of home too. So home has different parts to it. Right. And so we have the physical aspect of home. Like how are we actually even using our space? Are are we using our space in such a way that it sets up for family unity for fun? For example, um, on a lot of my spaces, I try and keep them really clear so that we can do game nights, you know, like, am I even setting my space up for success? Um, so that's like one aspect is the physical home. And then the other aspect is the relational and the more, you know, the intangibles, but that create this legacy and create relationship. I love what you're doing. And I can see that being a, just a huge benefit to families all over because now in the age of technology, um, they don't have to be in the Pacific Northwest. They can be anywhere. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that I haven't asked related to all that we've talked about or a final word of encouragement when it comes to investing in our families that you want to share with us? I think I want to just give the picture of that we're builders, you know, as people who are leading our families. Um, You think about like the Sistine Chapel, for example, and how the Sistine Chapel, I mean, it took years and years to build, but it was literally brick by brick by brick by brick. And it's a mess. I mean, you know, as someone who has remodeled an entire house, I mean, when you were in the midst of a remodel, you're like, this is an absolute mess. And are we ever, is it ever going to come together? And I think that is a really good metaphor for parenting, because I think there's so many times where we stand in the the middle, the messy middle, and we just say, is this ever going to come together? You know, am I ever going to feel like a good mom? Is, are my children ever going to like each other? You know, I mean, all the things, but just know that you are the bricklayer and just keep laying those bricks, just brick after brick after brick. And eventually it's going to create something beautiful, something like the Sistine Chapel in your own way, and that it will happen. But the faithfulness of the bricklaying has to precede the masterpiece of the final product. And so just continue, you know, I think that's just such a, it's such a helpful visual because um, we want the Sistine Chapel, but we don't always want to do the work to get there. I love that metaphor. That's beautiful. And I'd love everything that you've shared. I just love you. Thank you so much for coming on. Tell the listeners where they can find you, where they can get your books, your website. Yeah. So I'm just at kristagilbert.com and I'm on Instagram at Krista T. Gilbert. And yeah, that's probably the best place. Okay. And I'll tell you, her website is beautiful. And if you haven't listened to the Open Door Sisterhood, put that on your podcast subscribe list as well. Thank you, Kristen. This has been so great to chat with you. I feel like we could, we could definitely spend a lot of time talking about these things. (laughs) Yes, we could. I know. I wish you were my neighbor. I know, me too. So for all of you, I appreciate you listening. If you are a redemptive parenting follower, you know that we are irregular with this podcast since I am in grad school, but I have already lined up a couple other wonderful guests for this year. And Pete and I hopefully are going to be doing some parenting Q and a episodes. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast or follow redemptive parenting on Instagram to stay in the loop. 
Until next time, grace and peace to you all.